German philosopher Arthur Schopenhauer said something that is often quoted and has wasted many, many lives. He wrote, All truth passes through three stages. First, it is ridiculed. Second, it is violently opposed. Third, it is accepted as being self-evident. Hey, it's Seth, and this is Akimbo. We'll be back in a second after this message from our sponsor. If you want to learn to ride a bicycle, don't watch a video, don't read a book. Hey, it's Seth, and I'm here to talk about the Akimbo workshops. These are interactive, real-time, online workshops that work. And we're devoting 2020 to finding one that matches where you need to go. If you're ready to level up, I hope you'll check out akimbo.com to find out about our proven, effective workshops. And where does the waste come from? It comes from the people who are being ridiculed and believe that being ridiculed is a symptom that they have found the truth. There's a drug called niceratide. If you have heart failure, niceratide could have been a godsend. It's a drug that, when administered intravenously, can do wonders for people who have had heart failure. In 2001, Johnson & Johnson got approved by the FDA to sell the drug, and due to their marketing muscle, it got off to a great start. It had sales of billions of dollars a year and was on track to become a blockbuster. Then, a few years later, a cardiologist, Dr. Jonathan Sackner Bernstein, looked at the available data, the data that the FDA requires every drug maker to file. And what he found is that niceratide doesn't work better than a placebo. Sure, it has side effects, low blood pressure in 11% of the people who take it, headache, nausea, slow heart rate, even kidney failure. But no, it's no better than a placebo. As a result of his work, the Cleveland Clinic ended up forbidding its doctors from prescribing the drug. And within a year, Johnson & Johnson had taken it off the market. So for 10 years, people were taking a drug that didn't actually do more than a placebo would have. Fortunately, they had to show their work. Hewlett-Packard had one of the great corporate cultures of the 70s and the 80s. When people talk about Silicon Valley at its best, they're talking about Hewlett-Packard, a culture of respect, of treating workers fairly, and mostly of showing your work. The HP way included the principle that every night you should leave your work open on your bench for others to see. That keeping your work a secret isn't the sign of confidence. It isn't the sign of someone in a hurry. It's the sign of having something to hide. The FDA has been criticized for years because they make it too difficult, people say, to get drugs approved. But here's the thing. The FDA requires every drug maker to show their work. It's this transparency. It's this ability for other researchers to see what tests you have done that separates an FDA-approved drug from some vitamin or herb 
that's being sold by some tincture maker in Utah. And there's a reason that this is valuable. Because as they learned at HP, if you can walk around at the end of the shift and look at what the engineers are putting on their desks, you can make it better. And the idea that we can make it better because we can see what you did, that is critical. It's critical to forward motion. Speaking of forward motion, consider the perpetual motion machine. Here's one from a guy named Professor Searle. The secret to making this wave pattern on a magnetic material is a technical process known only by Professor Searle and his team. This magnetic wave pattern is used to create the Searle effect generator, and it is a cornerstone of a new era in clean and sustainable energy. We are now closer to replicating the Searle effect with a working prototype of the SEG. With the anticipated support, this technology will reach the entire world, capital W, and bring about an exciting new energy age. And of course, there's video, video of it showing it working. And underneath it says, he demonstrates the difference between a standard magnet and a conditioned ringed layer magnetized with the Searle Magnetics unique process that leaves field impressions that easily show when it is rolled. And on and on it goes. The thing is, people who make perpetual motion machines, and there are more of them on the show notes, and you can easily find them online, never show their work. Cold Fusion was a sensation when two scientists announced to the world that they had figured out on a tabletop how to create an energy-creating fusion reaction. But because they were coming from academia, they were required to show their work. And once they showed their work, it was discovered that no one really could replicate their work. But science requires replication. Replication and understanding. Next, on to William Levengood and the idea of crop circles. Here from cropcircles.com, she received a thorough scientific explanation of the intense crop circle research done by William Levengood and a secret lab partner over 16 years. Levengood was listed in the Guinness Book of World Records for writing more papers in scientific journals than anyone else. He was the only scientist who ever went public about his findings that crop circles are a real phenomenon. His scientific theory claimed that there's a plasma vortex operating in the field where crop circles appear. A plasma vortex is like a whirling tornado of different kinds of energies, sometimes up to seven, eight, nine, or ten different kinds of energies. The plasma vortices often travel in counter-rotating pairs, and because they have different kinds of energy in them, such as microwave energies, ion-electric avalanche energies, thermogradients, and convective stability, and on and on it goes. So, crop circles, do they actually increase the yield on a farm? Are they made by space aliens? Can people truly feel the energy as they walk through the field? Well, if we ask Doug Bauer and Dave Chorley, they might say yes. At least they would say that before they admitted to having created hundreds of crop circles using nothing but a plank of wood and some wire. The crop circles they created at night in the United Kingdom were verified, approved, and authenticated by a crop circle expert. Of course, they're all made up. The thing is that the people who believed in crop circles didn't show their work. The same thing goes for astrology. 
that astrology is a powerful placebo. If it's working for you, please keep doing it. But it is nothing. It is just made up. You cannot show your work. Two astrologers working in separate rooms will not come up with the same answer to the same question because there is no way to demonstrate its predictive value because it doesn't have any predictive value. What people who don't show their work do is resort to saying it's a secret or resort to false claims to status or resort to shaming people who don't believe. What happens is this. Human beings want to believe. We want there to be a story. It is much easier to explain our very complicated world if behind it are aliens, supernatural powers, conspiracies, invisible forces that help us explain a world that is sometimes random. Speaking of random, over the last hundred years, particularly in the American Southwest, something tragic has happened to cattle, sometimes horses. Doesn't happen very often, but sometimes a rancher will find one or two or even four cows dead on the fringes of their farm. Well, do the math. It's going to happen. These are unsupervised animals who are in a semi-dangerous environment that's hot or cold, where they have insufficient resources, and some of them are going to die. But these cattle and occasional horses appear to be mutilated. They appear that someone or something has come to them, cut various parts of their skin, taken various of their organs, and removed their blood. And so there are people who are sure that something nefarious is going on. The FBI initiated a study, spent more than $40,000, created a 250-page report to demonstrate just how nefarious this activity was. Here's the thing. We can explain every single one of the things that are happening to these cattle. It's largely the result of dehydration, birds, bugs, and gravity. But if you're unconvinced, perhaps we should show our work. And so Robert Carroll did just that. He set up a camera. And on camera, we see each one of the symptoms of cattle mutilation happening for purely natural reasons. So what we're not talking about here is, I'll know it when I see it. Because in fact, when Johnson & Johnson gave patients neceratide, some of them got better. I'll know it when I see it. The placebo does that. No, this is not, I know it when I see it. It's, I know it when I understand it. Help us understand the mechanics of your big idea. Help us understand the insight behind your engineering. We can only do that when you show your work. And once you've shown your work, if you challenge people to make your work better, then they can point out the parts of your work that don't hold water. They could say to Professor Searle, you know what? The laws of thermodynamics are not easily violated because the laws weren't made up by somebody. The laws are the result of observations observations over hundreds of years that have never once been proven to be incorrect, observations that hold water, that make sense, 
that are conceptually coherent. That if you could make a perpetual motion machine, well then, everything else in our universe would turn upside down. Back to Schopenhauer. All truth passes through three stages. First, it is ridiculed. Second, it is violently opposed. Third, it is accepted as being self-evident. Here's the thing about perpetual motion machines. Nobody is violently opposed to perpetual motion machines. If you handed us one that actually worked, we'd buy it instantly. We'd be delighted. The problem is the thing we are violently opposed to is making stuff up in the name of science and engineering because it's not science and it's not engineering because it's not truth. We are not ridiculing your truth. What we're ridiculing is pretending to tell the truth. And if you make drugs that could save or hurt people, if you are trying to dance on the edges of science or natural phenomenon, if you are engaging with the public to sell them something, we need to draw a really clear line between entertainment and science. That engineering works because you show your work, because it holds up under scrutiny and because we understand it. And the mysteries of our lives, the mysteries that lead to placebo effects and to joy and to connection and to living a happy life, well, that's a different category. And we need to be really clear about which is which because today when anyone can publish and anyone will, it's easier than ever to get confused about the difference. Thanks for listening. Go make your ruckus. We'll be back in a second to answer your questions from last time. But first, here's a message from our sponsor. Some people are better at changing the culture than others. Hey, it's Seth, and I'm here to talk to you about what it means to bring intent, to bring care and effort to changing things, to do work that matters for people who care. I call that marketing, and I'd like to invite you to check out the Marketing Seminar. We're back for our ninth session, more than 8,000 graduates so far. That's because it works. Check out themarketingseminar.com. Hope to see you there. Come make a ruckus. Thanks for listening. As always, I love to hear from you. As we enter a new year, we have new questions and new things to discuss. Share what's on your mind. Visit akimbo.link. That's A-K-I-M-B-O dot L-I-N-K. And press the appropriate button. Hi, Seth. I have a question around the connection between empathy and consistency. I have the feeling that... um, if I have a consistent message that I um, put out into the world over and over again and wait for people to connect to it and to really understand it or, or just to really resonate it and, and to find that the timing is right for them, that I might be missing empathy um, for the customer and understanding their worldview and, and where they're really coming from. Yeah, this seems like a paradox, Josh, that there seems to be Two imperatives. One, that we see the others for who they are, for what they believe, for their fears, their dreams, their desires, for the connections that they seek to make. And on the other hand, we know that frequency and consistency always works in the marketplace. That showing up 
in a reliable way, making promises and keeping them, standing for something, having a position, they all matter. So what do we do when they collide? What do we do when the vast variety of humanity finds our product or our service and discovers that it's consistent, which means that it's not exactly for them? This is why the smallest viable audience is so important. The smallest viable audience for Heinz ketchup is millions and millions of people because they want the regular kind, the kind they grew up with, the kind that reminds them that we are all sort of the same. On the other hand, the minimum viable audience for a piece of contemporary art might simply be 200 people. 200 people who have the insight and the experience and the means to buy a piece of this art and hang it on their wall. So does that mean that the contemporary artist, the Richard Serra, should start making ketchup? No, it doesn't. It means that when you find a group of people who share enough, share enough values, share enough in their point of view, share enough in where they seek to go, that you can live on that, that you can live with that, then make something for them. And then you can be really clear to the world. This is for people who like things like this. This is for people who believe this. You can say to the world, people like us, we do things like this. And then you can offer them this. So the discipline is showing up consistently with something that you are proud of, just, only, simply, for the people you seek to serve. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. And have a safe and happy new year. I just don't think it's possible or probable in in today's world to distinguish yourself as an educational institution or as a success seeker at the level of, of information gathering or information distribution. I mean, this is the information age and you can get a great book, a great essay, a great idea anywhere. You know, and none of us can do that better than the Internet. Right. Um, There is no great thought leader who can outthink the Internet like we have data. What all MBA gets right is it puts you in a context where you're part of a community that says, yeah, 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 that's good. You got access to ideas. You got access to information. That's awesome. But when are you going to show up? When are you going to face that blank page? When are you going to face the possibilities within you? When are you going to face those fears? I'm not going to let you hide. You got to show up. And that's the hardest part. And it sounds simple. It sounds very commonsensical. But it's the number one reason why we don't write that book. It's the number one reason why we don't ask that question. It's not because we don't know or we don't have the information. We don't have an environment and we don't have a support network that makes it feel like showing up is possible for me. Not just possible for the success stories I see out there, but I can show up. Consider the Alt-MBA. More than 3,000 alumni in 74 countries around the world. Find out more at altmba.com.